and welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. Join us every week to discuss ecology, odor dynamics, dog behavior, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I run Canine Conservationists, where I train dogs to detect data. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to our new conservation correspondent, Dr. Charles Van Rees. You've heard from Charles before in our epic two-parter on data, and after that episode, I asked Charles if he was interested in coming on to the show a bit more regularly as our conservation correspondent. So welcome back to the podcast, Charles. Do you want to start out with telling our listeners a little bit about who you are and why you're here? (laughs) (laughs) I can do that for sure. Thanks very much for having me, Kayla. Nice to be here chatting with you again. So who I am was the first question, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's a broad one. Well, I guess I would start (laughs) with the things that are most relevant right here, which which would just be, broadly speaking, I think, among the things that I call myself, one of them is a conservation scientist or conservation biologist. So I am professionally very interested and passionate in conducting scientific research that leads to the protection of nature in some Mm -hmm. way. So for me, that has manifested in a lot of training in various facets of ecology. So behavioral ecology, which I know we have nerded out together about, and I'm sure we're going to do again. Mm -hmm. Landscape ecology. I've done a lot of work with uh, wetlands and water resources issues, which is something that I'm particularly nerdy and fascinated about. And using those sciences, combining them at times with other sort of skill sets and disciplines to produce information that then can help people do a better job of protecting nature because we better understand it, right? And a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. uh, unless we understand how these systems work, we cannot necessarily address or mitigate or reduce the threats posed to those to, to nature, right? By, by our yeah. actions as people. This is, this is very complex and nuanced stuff and you have to do the science to understand it. And I think that over the course of my career, I've become more and more excited about the ways that I can do that and how to sort of work on bridging that gap between what we know, what we research and try to know via learning <laughs> and mm-hmm. how we then go and, and get stuff done, right? <laughs> With mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I think, you know, we were saying right before we got on that I'd noticed um, when kind of digging through the podcast analytics that sometimes our episodes that dive deeper into the biology and the conservation side of things don't seem to perform as well. It seems like um, our listeners at home maybe prefer the dog side of things. And I think a lot of our (laughs) listeners are probably more in that dog training, dog behavior world. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's kind of exactly why I wanted to bring you on as a conserv- as our conservation <laughs> correspondent um, is to because I think if you're serious about getting into this field and you're serious about learning to work with a conservation detection dog, having a much more solid background in conservation biology and ecology mm-hmm. is is so so important and it really helps kind of elevate the field because we're not just out there training dogs, um, right. Right. Yeah. It's certainly, I think that's a, that's a stellar point. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that people <laughs> might find that stuff more <laughs> boring. Uh, and you know, that, that almost kind of gets us into another facet of who I am, I guess. A big, a big thing that I'm very interested in career wise outside of my scientific career, although I, it cer- certainly, uh, synergizes a bit is I'm, I'm also really interested in getting people excited about nature more broadly. Uh, and more profoundly than I think they are a lot of the time. So 
and we don't have to dwell on this too long, but it, it's a bit of a tie-in here where I think a lot of people relate to nature either as, you know, National Geographic exotic birds and large megafauna from various parts of Africa mm-hmm. or or as like something they don't want to deal with, right? And that's why they yeah. stay inside. It's either some beautiful thing on a screen somewhere and it's very distant and it's remote or when there's real nature or, you know, right in front of them, they're, they're not recognizing it. And so I... I in a number of different avenues, I, I take very seriously the idea of finding ways to remind people that nature is all around us. Nature's part of us. We're embedded in it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just this remote thing that you, you know, go on YouTube, watch documentaries on. It, it's there happening. It's alive all the time, all around you. And it's really exciting and really cool and a fun thing to nerd about. And certainly I, I would very much encourage anyone, especially considering a career that involves dealing with ecology and conservation biology as a, as a dog handler, dog trainer, you know, th- this stuff should be a big part of your bread and butter, right? You, you, you need to understand the system, uh, both, both ecologically and professionally in which you're embedding yourself to know why you're doing what you're doing. Why is it important? And of course, how to do a good job, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there are plenty of people who may ultimately be very successful in this field. And even some of the the greats that I think about kind of historically in this field, I know Barbara Davenport, um, who's one of the the parents of the field of conservation detection dog, one of mm. one of uh, probably a group of, I guess we could call them aunts and uncles more than parents. Um, <laughs> she pretty famously and repetitively says, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a conservation scientist. I'm not an ecologist. I know the dogs and I'm here to learn and I'm here to help. I'm, but like, we need to collaborate on this and that's okay. Like I'm not expecting our listeners, like I clearly haven't done this. I'm not expecting our listeners to like go out and get a PhD in conservation biology, but (laughs) that's why you're here to like help bring that level of expertise and help, um, help our listeners and, you know, myself included continue learning from that so that we're not just interacting with conservation biologists Mm -hmm. when we're trying to, sell them on a method sure um, yeah and we're I, also I, I, coming I think... coming with curiosity and ready to learn and right all that which stuff. is just a great way to approach life in general i think but i don't know what, what you were saying really brought home a point for me or, or kind of popped one up in my head there mm-hmm. that i think is really important that i think is inherent to lots of fields but especially pressing and huge in conservation biology today which is just that this is not a soloist field. Conservation biology is not an academic or applied profession or discipline for rock stars, you know, and and there are, you know, rock stars who are very popular and charismatic and maybe they get certain things done. But in my opinion, this is not about any particular person. This is not about being the best. This is not about what have you. We are all in this boat together. We're all on this planet together and Mm -hmm. we need more of this sort of synergy and just ability to talk to people from different disciplines to enable that sort of collaboration. There's no way I'm going to be able to spend the time to learn enough about dog training to train my own conservation detection dogs for whatever research, you know, I end up doing in the future. It's not going to happen. I, I, mm-hmm. I just don't know that stuff. And that would take me a ludicrously long time. And so, right, this is why I'm here talking to you guys. <laughs> like, this is why yeah. biologists will come to you. And so it's it's not that anybody has any sort of better knowledge than anybody else, certainly, but, yeah. but there's very different knowledge and it's complementary. And I guess my goal would be, you know, encouraging in, in encouraging people to 
to maybe tune in more to these types of episodes, the big thing would be, yeah, you need to, you don't need to be fluent in biology, but you need to be able to speak it a tiny bit. Can mm-hmm. you, right? Like, can, can you be, uh, what, what's the term in language, like conversational? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking of that exact thing where when people ask me if I'm fluent in Spanish, I often will kind of demure and be like, well, I'm fluent enough to talk politics and not fluent enough to be a politician. <laughs> um, oh, that's nice. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, I think like that's, that's where I would consider my ecological education to be is I'm, I'm fluent enough to hang out in a room of ecologists and feel like I can keep up. Um, but I'm not necessarily fluent enough that if I was, uh, if, uh, you know, if I, if I get invited to speak to a room of ecologists, it's cause I'm talking about dogs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not because of my chops kind of as a standalone entomologist or anything, no matter how much I, I cry over how much I love, uh, dragonflies. <laughs> New to ranks. Yeah. New to ranks of which, <laughs> gosh, I, ooh. see now I'm like, Oh God, what, where, where do they fall taxonomically? Uh, <laughs> invertebrates. You're good. I, yeah, I know they're Pretty invertebrates, but like after that, like, <laughs> I don't think they've got much of an exoskeleton. They're just kind of <laughs> sacks of tiny <laughs> colors. <laughs> um, so, but you also said something that I wanted to kind of circle back to in this idea of like, you are a nature communicator as well. So you're a conservation biologist, which we love. That's why, that's, you know, that's why we've hired you um, for this unpaid <laughs> position. <laughs> right, right. That's why we've coerced you into this yeah. unpaid gig. <laughs> there um, we go. There we yeah, go. you know, twisted your arm a little bit. But you're also a nature communicator. And like one of the things that I really love about the other podcast that you're involved with, Nature Guys, is really talking about getting involved with nature in your backyard. And I know many, many of our, especially like our dog loving listeners, a huge part of how they get out and how they engage with nature is with their dog. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're going out on these hikes with their dogs, they're going on decompression walks, they might even just be seeking out like nice treed suburbs or parks to engage with their dogs. And one of the things that I really like about you, um, as an addition to this podcast, and also just as a human being is how easy it is to get you excited, and how much you know about some of this more urban or suburban and like accessible nature out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really appreciated and something that I care a lot about is helping people kind of understand more about, you know, the little things that they can do to protect or care for the ecosystem out their back door, maybe more so than like quitting their job and going to become a a conservation detection dog handler or an ecologist. But like, what can you do from where you are now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great point. It's something I think worth, worth considering more broadly. Yeah. So why don't we, I think, you know, we were talking um, in our data episode, I think we've mentioned some of your, your work in the past and where you're at now, but why don't we give people a little bit of a recap as far as, you know, who Dr. Van Rees is, you know, what did you do your PhD on? What are some of the things you're really passionate about now in the conservation Uh biology world? Um, Mm -hmm. A little bit more specifically, we know, we know it, it probably involves wetlands. And that's, right. That's yeah, got. I know. I if anyone ever runs into me in, in like a social media space, I'm constantly screaming about wetlands, and I'm not sorry about it. I'm going to keep doing that. <laughs> wetlands are the best. And if you don't know why, talk to me about it. Well, <laughs> well, why are they the best, Charles? I don't know. We're not there yet. We're not there. Yet. Hold on. Hold <laughs> <Okay>. on now. <laughs> no, I, I mean I'll keep the rest of this pretty brief. I think okay, uh, sure. leading up to the wetland stuff, but I guess. 
I could run I pretty briefly at least through kind of my my rough professional trajectory anyhow not not nothing too specific there's plenty of other stuff out there on that but yeah I so I I did uh as an undergraduate is I think that's when I started getting really interested in conservation uh and mm-hmm. I, I did an a undergrad degree, a, a double major in ecology and environmental science, did a minor in Spanish, which was delightful. Uh, and I didn't know that about you. <laughs> oh, yeah. A little minor, yeah, minor in Spanish fun. was awesome. I like went and saw my like minor advisor actually a couple of years ago when I gave a guest lecture in the biology department or yeah, biology department at, uh, at Conn College where I did my undergrad and it was very fun to catch up with her. But anyway, uh, and I think up until that point, I was just really interested in nature broadly and i think i was very much on like the nat geo side of things i was just like and i'm Mm -hmm. I'm not i just want to be clear i'm not hating on like conservation travel i'm not hating on you know uh uh this sort of you know charismatic exotic charismatic (laughs) megafauna thing like that's great and that's a part of nature and that is real i guess i'm just i'm against that being the only way that people see nature because like Mm -hmm. you said that makes people not understand that there's plenty to protect at home Mm -hmm. and that you don't need to go spend a bajillion dollars and, and, you know, uh, fly in a jet plane that has a horrific carbon footprint, right. To go see some mm-hmm. bird, like there's amazing stuff going on all around you. But anyway, I, I was initially in that boat and then started to realize, yeah, these things are in peril and you can use science and you can use your mind and, and, and your connections and collaborations to do something about it. And that really fascinated me. So I, I was part of this, I applied for this fellowship program at Conn College in in conservation biology, got a lot of like really broad exposure to all the different things that go into it from, you know, social and political elements to the economics of conservation, environmental preservation, all the different philosophies. It was really fascinating. And I I didn't get just a biology education, you know, and I think that's what really started to push me into it because I I was so excited by the fact that you get to do all sorts of different stuff when you're a conservationist. It's not just, okay, I'm going to go learn a bunch of ecology now, which is great, but I'm the kind of person I don't like to just do one thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And from there, I, I spent some time traveling around the U.S. Um, trying to get practical field experience, really getting my ecological, you know, science chops more. And so I, I worked on various research projects, mostly in ornithology. So I was really getting well-connected and well-versed in studying birds in the wild and their their behaviors and their conservation. And then... Uh, started graduate school, so I applied for PhD programs, mainly looking at or, or with the interest of starting projects, research projects around uh, protecting endangered birds in some way. And mm-hmm. at the time, I was mostly interested interested actually in like migratory birds that that come up, you know, to North America, and then in, in the breeding season and in the winter time, they they spend a lot of their time much further south in Central and South America and things like that. Um, I didn't end up doing any of that stuff because that's how life is. Um, but did a, did a PhD at, at, at Tufts University under a really fantastic advisor and mentor, uh, Dr. J. Michael Reed, who's a professor there. He's a conservation biologist, just an incredible person all around, which I, I will avoid waxing too poetic about <laughs> how much I adore that guy. But I, I specifically wanted to work with him because he was a very practically minded conservation biologist who also studied, who, who used the sciences that I found really cool in his in his work. So he, you know, was more along the uh, 
population biology, behavioral ecology side of things. He was a really big proponent in sort of the second wave of conservation biology, probably in the 90s, of saying, hey, we can't just crank numbers and and say how many of these things are allowed to die or how many of them are allowed to live to keep the population going. We need to actually study what these species are doing in the wild, understand those behaviors and how those affect how we manage things. And I thought that was the coolest. So I went to go work with him on that. And that's where the wetland stuff started to happen for me. I started working uh, in Hawaii on some endangered wetland birds and also was part of another fellowship program on what's called water diplomacy, which was... Mm -hmm really neat stuff working with a lot of people who were not biologists studying how complex water issues are um, politically mm -hmm. economically etc and a big a big part of what I ended up focusing on and I still do today is how water connects us to the natural world and vice versa and how our our management and our comings and goings with water have real implications for ecology but also how ecological systems and their health affect our access to and our quality of water. Mm -hmm. And and that's a really interesting tangled web that I really hope to spend my career on. Um, that's how I sort of arrived there. And then after finishing my PhD, I went to Spain. I did some research on uh, water birds as well as more broadly on freshwater conservation, freshwater biodiversity conservation sort of policy and action in Europe, uh, working with folks in Spain and also some other, a whole big collaborative team, uh, based out of like Belgium and Germany. Wasn't that with some, some fancy little grant called a Fulbright? <laughs> wow. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. I should have mentioned that. Yeah. So that yeah. was, that was with the, that was with a, a Fulbright postdoctoral grant, um, or after my PhD, which was really fun. A lot of very, very cool people. And then I, just you know got funding to go live in a beautiful city in spain and study with really awesome people in like the largest protected natural area in europe which was one of the coolest places i've ever been um yeah so it, wow. was, it was a fantastic experience yeah uh yeah and then from there montana mm -hmm. where where we crossed paths i was doing mm -hmm. work on uh a couple different things, but mostly invasive species related work, which is kind of like the opposite side of things, right? Invasive species mm -hmm. is like your or invasion ecology in a way is like, I'm trying to like reduce the populations of certain species to save everybody else. We've got these highly disruptive plants and animals and whatever else that have showed up in an environment and are causing huge disruptions now. And we need to mm -hmm. find a way to locally extirpate or drive them extinct in ways that that can then restore, right, those ecosystems back to a functional way. So that was a really cool change of pace for me. And, uh, okay, now we're finally at the present. Um, now I'm working at the University of Georgia with a really, really big project involving the Army Corps of Engineers and a lot of other collaborators. And this is way more closer to sort of my heart and the things that I really like to nerd out about. But essentially, we are trying to advocate for and do the research necessary for a major paradigm shift in how we manage infrastructure in the United States. And we're starting with a big focus on coastal infrastructure and freshwater infrastructure. Obviously, the freshwater stuff is what gets me super excited. But um, we're trying to integrate the way we manage ecosystems with the way we manage infrastructure and understand mm -hmm. how the ecosystems all around us are in a way 
a form of natural infrastructure that protects us as people and provides things for us. So what we're what we call infrastructure, right? That's things like roads and and seawalls and levees and dikes and dams around our rivers that help us manage the world around us to keep us safe and to keep us happy and to keep us provided with stuff we need, like transportation and food supplies and trade and whatever. And we're trying to help people realize that existing nature is basically earth infrastructure, right? It's producing mm-hmm. the oxygen we need. It's cleaning the water that we need. It's, you know, agriculture as a whole probably wouldn't work if there wasn't any nature anymore. It, 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 it seems like, oh yeah, we've got this all figured out. We've got all the pesticides we need. We've got all the fertilizers and stuff. You can't do it. It's completely, it, it's completely impossible without having mm-hmm. these baseline you know, services provided by the earth. Anyway, so before I go way off on this, that's kind of what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm sort of, I'm playing a smaller role within that now where I am coordinating a whole bunch of research projects. We are studying how you can use, you know, strategic placement of ecological restorations and um, landscape architecture and stuff to provide these services in support of infrastructure through ecosystem restoration. And what I'm studying is like, okay, well, how do we also make that help biodiversity if we're going to do all this stuff and spend you know whatever it is a trillion dollars in infrastructure um how can we also make that pay some biodiversity dividends right can can you Mm -hmm. if you're going to make a wetland so that it could protect a bunch of people in a marginalized community from flooding which is super important in climate change can that same wetland also provide habitat for an endangered water bird that would be nice yeah yeah so that's what I do now. And I think that that kind of sums up what I'm interested in is, is, you know, you need to do scientific ecological research to do that. But, and that's something I really enjoy, but I like doing that and then applying it to all of these much bigger issues that are also affecting people. Cause I like people too. And if I could be helping people <laughs> and wildlife at the same time, my gosh, like count me in. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, we'll also just point listeners towards, you've got a couple really good, really in-depth interview podcasts that we'll link to in the show notes if people are just curious um, about more and more of your history. Um, oh, for but sure. One of the things Thanks. that I was, I, I, I don't know if I've picked up on this previously when you and I have talked, but as you were talking about your work in Doniana in Spain, and then your work in Montana and mm-hmm. your work in Hawaii, you've worked with in Doniana, you were working with environmental contaminants to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. In Montana, you're working with invasive species and in Hawaii, you're working with an endangered animal um, mm-hmm. and monitoring them. And those are kind of three of the four main pillars of what conservation dogs are helpful for. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, so the one that you're missing um, is wildlife crime, which is also the one that I've got the least oh, experience yeah. with, which was, wow. you know, dogs screening at borders or um, ports of entry, those sorts of things for mm-hmm. things like ivory or shark fin. And that's just not something that either one of us has all that much experience in. But those are mm-hmm. kind of the four main pillars of the conservation dog thing. So I think I'm already getting some ideas of some episodes that you and I can <laughs> continue working <laughs> on. Like we haven't done a full on episode on invasive species yet. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are kind of vaguely aware of what an invasive species is. Oh, wow. Yeah. And mm-hmm. why they're why they're not great. But you know, we can talk you know, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to all of those things. And it's just, it's cool to kind of realize, um, you've got a very varied past, um, which is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think (laughs) for my purposes, no, exactly. Yeah. I I hear, I, I have heard that from other people in the past. They've like, Whoa, you've done a lot. And I think part of that has been like, just, you know, 
not to be not to sound too cynical like part of it has definitely been like a bit of the job market like i've just been mm-hmm. like oh i gotta take what opportunities pop up and, mm-hmm. and do whatever but then part of it has also been like all this stuff gets me excited it's all neat mm-hmm. it's all really cool and it's all related it's all working towards the same purpose um yeah but i i think i'm that kind of person where i think a lot of other academics are very i know everything about this thing mm-hmm. and i have trouble uh stopping myself there if if, if it's a cool and compelling project that can do something for the environment i'm usually pretty stoked on it yeah you and me both i mean that's like i've bounced (laughs) around so much between working in animal shelters with aggressive dogs to like writing about biology and dog training to doing conservation dog work and like you know i feel like for me my career has all kind of been circling around getting to the point where i can narrow down into this conservation dog realm um, but I've got so many other jobs and interests that are tangential. And then, you know, it, yeah, you're totally right, though, that huge part of it, part of it is also just the job market. And like, uh, if, I think if I could have gotten hired doing conservation dog work in 2016, I would have been doing it in 2016. But I had to have five other jobs first. For sure. Uh, which was partially experience-based, but also mostly job market-based, I think. I mm-hmm. think I probably not to toot my own horn or whatever, but I, I think I probably could have started out in this field four years earlier had there actually been an opportunity to do so. Right, right. So. And that might just be, honestly, like a helpful thing for people to hear who might be listening to this mm-hmm. who are early career and interested in becoming conservation dog handlers or what have you. This this is, you do need to have that flexibility, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the biggest advice I give people when they reach out to me asking about getting into this field is figure out how to get that really varied experience. And, you know, I know a lot of what I have also found really successful for myself when I'm applying for jobs is, you know, I got a job offer in 2016 that I ended up not taking, but the main two things that they said stood out to them on my resume was that I could drive stick shift and that I spoke Spanish. <laughs> you know, I was like, nice. I like, spent so long putting together this like this fieldwork resume where I like had all my info and all the misnetting I've ever done and all that sort of stuff. And they were like, Oh, you can drive stick shift and you speak Spanish, you're in. <laughs> you know? All right. All right. Um and I, I feel like that little anecdote has really stuck with me when I'm giving advice. Um so as we're kind of wrapping up here, why don't we drill down a little bit on some of the differences between ecology and conservation biology? Okay. This is a good one. I like thinking about this. I catch myself explaining this to people on airplanes all the time (laughs) because everyone's always like, what do you mean? What is that? How is that different? The way I always, the first metaphor that comes to mind for me is comparing it between like studying physiology and being a doctor. Okay. So the research could look very similar Mm -hmm. potentially in terms of the actual doing of stuff, right? That could look very similar between ecology and conservation biology. Especially, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. So, uh, ecology is about studying, you know, life pretty broadly. Biology would be life in general. In this case, ecology is studying life and how it interacts with other life and how it interacts with its environment, meaning also the the abiotic or non-living parts of the world too. Mm -hmm. So how 
materials and energy and all sorts of things are exchanged, right? How populations change across time. Um, evolution has a lot to do with ecology. I, I wouldn't say it's, it's strictly the only thing going on there, but when you are an ecological researcher, for example, your goal is, is solely around learning, learning, gaining a deeper understanding, right. Of, of, the natural world and how life is interacting in all those ways. You're looking for fundamental laws and all these things we look for in what we call kind of pure science. Mm-hmm. And that would, that would be kind of like studying physiology for physiology's sake, where you're just studying, let's say the human body to understand how it works in ways that we don't currently, there are still a lot of mysteries in the human body. Yeah, and we don't know where things, memories are. There you go. <laughs> um, and, and there are so many things that we do know, that we know because people were studying physiology for physiology's mm-hmm. sake. Now, doctors study a lot of things, but a big part of what they're studying is how bodies work, why bodies work, sometimes why they don't work. Mm-hmm. And all of that is being fed by, right, the, that natural, our, our, our sort of more scientific, fundamental science approach of, of studying physiology for physiology's sake. But they are now interested in applying it. They're not just interested in why this mm-hmm. works, mm-hmm. right? Unless they're a research doctor, they're also trying to do stuff. They're trying to help people in some way. There's a goal to it now, which makes it no longer "quote unquote" pure, according to like very academic people. And the the term for that that I love is what we call applied science, and mm-hmm. that is when. You're, you're either just directly applying the science, you're just doing this stuff, maybe you're a practicing doctor, or if you're a more research doctor, then you're doing research, but the purpose of that learning and the purpose of that research is actually to like do stuff with it later, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe you're asking a question, like, like why are so many kids age blankety-blank getting this cancer? Why is that happening? Yeah. Let's go figure it out. And you're not doing that just because you need to know more about the universe. You're doing that because this is a problem. We want to fix it. And that's the big divide that I see is that ecologists are, are still ultimately they're studying things because it's like, oh, wow, that's neat. That's a new thing we know about ecology. Mm -hmm. Now we've gained some deeper fundamental understanding of how ecosystems and living things work on this planet. Whereas a conservation biologist might be, might be doing similar stuff. And maybe even asking similar questions, maybe, but those questions are phrased differently. They are about solving problems, learning basic things so that then we can take action on that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then a step beyond that, just like the way that doctors don't only do physiology, conservation biologists also do a lot of other stuff. And that's why Mm -hmm. a lot of us, including myself more recently, are starting to use the term conservation scientist a lot more for what we do in that I also do a lot of other sciences. Um, Gotcha. I spend a lot of time right? Looking, looking into hydrology and, and political science and, and, um, you know, how, how do you interact with stakeholders? How do you make decisions based on various criteria and competing demands? So conservation biology also very rapidly gets like super interdisciplinary at a much bigger yeah. scale. I think in ecology, the types of interdisciplinary you might see where you're mixing different styles of learning could be like, oh, we mixed genetics with, animal behavior that's some pretty cool interdisciplinary ecology in conservation biology that would be like we mixed like communications and literature with genetics yeah landscape ecology like you know just big big sweeping bridges because you're having to do stuff too and of course that also the big difference there 
or one of the big differences is that like you're dealing with people at the same time. Like, yes, there is urban ecology. There are branches of ecology that deal with people, but at conservation biology, you are inherently dealing with people because, you know, it, just by definition, yeah. when we're dealing with problems in, with nature, the things that we perceive as problems in nature are things coming from us, right? There are yeah. certain mm-hmm. changes that we have imposed that we want to, that we want to, to fix or undo or reduce in some way. Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, this is making me feel like, oh, okay, so yeah, the, the term conservation detection dog actually does describe pretty well what I do, because when I'm thinking about, is this project technically something that a conservation detection dog would take on or not, I think your framework of the difference between ecology and conservation biology actually is a really good framework that is very similar to how I decide whether or not something kind of counts. Mm-hmm. Um Mm-hmm. And not that I'm the final arbiter at all. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. But, um, you know, I know in the past when I've been writing articles or answering people's questions on, like, what are some of the sorts of jobs that conservation detection dogs do? I think conservation, based on how you've described it, is a better descriptor than, like, I know some people will say that they're ecological detection dogs mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. eco dogs. And it's like, I think if you're more interested, especially, you know, as we talked about with contaminants and uh, law enforcement, um, those fit more cleanly into a conservation umbrella, but they don't fit quite as well into an ecological umbrella. I agree. Yeah, those yeah. all sounded like conservation issues to me. Yeah. Um, but it would not, you know, surprise me to come across ecological detection dogs where, you know, it, it's it, as a as a quote unquote tool, right, for collecting mm-hmm. information. You can still be collecting information with dogs that would be super useful for. Just ecological basic oh, research. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think works, a ton but. of the like the work that I've proposed that you helped helped me to propose to go forward in um in the Amazon. That is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think, almost fits more cleanly under ecological because and the way I've kind of been thinking about that particular project is, and that's where um, I think our listeners has probably, have probably heard me talking about this. I've written a grant to hopefully go to Ecuador and hopefully study. Um, some populations and movements of big cats by training the dogs right. to find uh, kitty poop. Um, right. To be very scientific and professional about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And ultimately, I hope that that information can be used for conservation, but at kind of this first level of, you know, circling back to our, our discussions on data, it's much more of kind of like presence, absence, and population information and those sorts of things that are more strictly ecological questions that again hopefully we could put into like an applied conservation use later yeah so yeah to me it seems it feels like there's this uh, there's a pretty big overlap in the venn diagrams between ecology and conservation absolutely and and it's okay to you know to be in both and it was just something that i thought about a lot when i was naming the organization yeah. Like, oh gosh, do I want to be like an eco canine? I mean, that's my license plate is eco canine because conservation right. canine does not fit on no. a license plate. <laughs> um, but yeah, so okay, thank you for breaking that down for us. I think mm-hmm. for our little introductory episode, that's um, that's all I had for you. Is there anything more that you wanted to talk about or bring up um, before our listeners get to hear you interviewing some more guests in the future? <laughs> no, not not. At this stage, anyway, I mean, I, I definitely want to say hi to folks who are listening. I'm really <laughs> grateful to be a part of this and, and looking forward to uh, interacting more with the with the listeners and, and the folks that we have tuning in here. This is a 
it's an exciting podcast and i think it's a really neat community that you're that you're building yeah. here caitlin it's it's exciting to get to um, drag them. people are going to want to know do you do you have a dog do you have any god dogs that that you want to tell us about <laughs> as we're wrapping up here <laughs> uh i don't have a dog because i travel way too much and i'm insanely busy and i just I, I, one day I will have a dog, but that will also be the day when I have more money and time to actually invest mm-hmm. in taking good care of a dog. Um, but yeah, I have a I have a dog. I can try to provide pictures too of these animals if that's helpful. Please do. But yes, I have like a cousin dog, like my aunt and uncle in Montana. They have a beautiful dog that I was actually there for his adoption. His <laughs> name is Lincoln, and he's just very chubby and astute and like he's just this very smart like distinguished old gentleman chubby dog and then i have a a dog niece um my sister has a dog named pemmy uh who is very nice and i spent some of thanksgiving with her she's also a very nice adopted mutt so uh, there's a lot of mutts in my life and i I ain't mad at it (laughs) yeah no i don't think anyone's mad about it but people people always want to (laughs) know do you have a dog yeah. Who are they? Tell us all about them. And, right, you know, Barley and Niffler both both love Charles. Um, Barley <laughs> might mostly just like your throwing arm, but Niffler yes. definitely genuinely likes you. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. Niffler, yeah, he, he just, he goes for that ballistic French kiss every time. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, he's a nightmare um, in the best <laughs> way. Well, um, Charles, remind people where they can find you um, on mm. the internet aside from here, and uh, then we will be back in their earbuds again soon. Sounds good. Uh, yes, so I, I can be heard on the Nature Guys podcast, which you'll find on Twitter at nature underscore guys and on Instagram at nature guys podcast. It is fantastic. Please check it out. And then just me personally, I'm on Twitter at uh, Gulo Thoughts. That's G U L O T H O U G H T S. And uh, on Instagram at Gulo Shots. And then if you are just really interested in like the Charles deep cut, you can always go to my professional website, which is vanreeseconservation.com. There are other podcast interviews on there. There's a lot more stuff about my research. And once I get my act together, there will also be a bunch of links to my published uh, scientific works, which um, I got some cool stuff actually coming out in the next few months that I'm very much excited for. Uh, and if any other aspects of my research or my career are interested to people, I'm, I'm always happy to, to chat with folks. Um, this is a I think conservation is a, is an important community to grow and to nurture one another, and so I think it's it's important to remember that you know we're all here to help each other, and, and um, I'm I'm a big proponent of that attitude of you know rising tide raises all ships or however it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm definitely yeah. trying to help pull other people up with me here. So yeah, yeah, thanks that. very much for having me. Yeah, no, it's it's great to have you. I love the idea of a Dr. Van Rees deep cut. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where we go. So anyway, everyone can find those show notes and donate to Canine Conservationists and buy merch and join our Patreon over at canineconservationists.org. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned a lot and are feeling inspired to get outside and be a canine conservationist in whatever way suits your passions and your skill set. Until next time.